Grace to you and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As uh, Pastor Fenske mentioned, we are in week two of our Advent uh, sermon series, Gifts from the King. Last week, Pastor Fenske uh, told us about the remarkable gift of strength that comes to us. Today, our topic is comfort. And as we dig into that topic, I've got two um, verses that I would like to, uh, to use as a basis. Uh, first, probably pretty obviously, uh, from our Old Testament lesson, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In our gospel reading, Mark tells us that those words really are looking forward to the coming of John the Baptist and his message. And then Mark records for us what that message was. John came, baptizing in the desert region and proclaiming a baptism of repentance. This is our text. Well, I'm, I'm wondering, maybe John didn't get the memo. Comfort, says Isaiah. Repent, says John. Sure seems like a disconnect, doesn't it? Although that wasn't the case for John's original audience. Remember what Mark tells us about them? All the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to see him. Well, that's a bit like saying the whole city of Frankenmuth and, and all of Saginaw County as well. Mark is using something called hyperbole here, which is uh, kind of a big word for, for exaggeration, but it is intentional and obvious exaggeration for a reason, to make a point. And the point, of course, is that large crowds were flocking to see and hear this John. The question is why? Some have suggested, uh, just out of curiosity, and this, the whole deal was pretty strange. John uh, had a strange wardrobe. He had a strange diet. He picked a strange location to preach. I mean, you'd think he would have been right in the middle of a city instead of way out in the wilderness. Yeah, a lot of curiosity might have brought people to him, but I don't think that was the primary reason, if it was really a reason at all. I think it was because John was connecting with those people, and his message connected with them. And the same thing can be true for us today when we understand exactly what, what he was getting at, and, and also Isaiah. So we're going to use both of those to, uh, to help us with this. And we're going to start with Isaiah and with this question. When you hear the word comfort, what comes to mind? Maybe it's a, a large, luxurious bed so you can finally get a, a good night's sleep. Or how about a... A, a crackling, cozy fire on a chilly evening in December. Or perhaps your, your favorite lazy boy recliner. Those modern day comforts, as nice as they are, are not what Isaiah is talking about. So if those are the kinds of things that are on your Amazon wish list for, uh, for God to bring this year, 
I think you might be disappointed. The comfort we seek, so often anyway, is not the same comfort that our king wants to give. In other words, let's not confuse the gift of comfort with our desire to be comfortable. The first of those is always a good thing, God's comfort. The second, not necessarily. Sometimes it's good to experience its opposite, which is discomfort. And here I'll call your attention to our sermon outline in your, in your service folder. Isaiah's message was for those who were already experiencing extreme discomfort as they faced the consequences of their rebellion against God. To them, the message of God's forgiveness was a tremendous relief. They were learning that their warfare was was coming to an end and, and their sins were being forgiven. In fact, God was giving them double forgiveness, Isaiah says, for, for their iniquity against him. John was preaching to a different audience. His message of repentance was aimed at those who were pretty comfortable with the way things were. Well, you can't give comfort to someone who doesn't need it, to someone who isn't currently experiencing discomfort. That's why John called for repentance. And we do too. Each Advent season, we remind ourselves of of John the Baptist, his person and and his message, probably for a couple reasons. One of them is chronological. In the order of things, John was born just before Jesus, and John's ministry took place right before that of Jesus. But in addition, the preparation needed by those in John's day is still necessary in ours. Isaiah's description of preparing a highway paints a vivid picture of the spiritual effort that's required. Listen again to his words. A a voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And and here's how that's going to happen. Imagine this. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. Well, to build a road that way would be an engineer's nightmare. Let me show you some of the uh, terrain in the wilderness where John was most likely, anyway, preaching. This actually, these pictures taken at Qumran, which is the site of the Dead Sea Scrolls, and so that's why you'll see uh, people in the picture as well. What we really want to see is the rugged, rugged terrain. And the last one, mountains. Mountains are are barriers to travel. In the spiritual sense, mountains of sin come between us and God. And there's only one thing that can remove that barrier. And that's our repentance and the forgiveness which follows. But real repentance... Real repentance is hard work, next to impossibly hard. And yet that's the repentance that John calls for because that's the repentance God 
requires. And, and we list in your sermon outline uh, a few of the things that go along with that. And the first one is that, that real repentance requires honesty with ourselves and with God. And one reason that's so hard is, is that kind of honesty makes us vulnerable. It leaves us totally defenseless when we realize that we are without excuse. Don't you hate it when that happens? When you do something wrong and there's nobody else to blame for it? When we make a mistake, what, what is usually the first thing that comes to mind? That's not my fault. Well, in the spiritual sense, when it comes to our sin, repentance requires us to honestly say not, it's not my fault, but rather it's all my fault. Now, I know that's not so good for our self-esteem, which is so carefully protected these days. Our culture does us no favors in this regard as, as our culture says to us, oh, you don't need to feel bad. Who's to say what's, what's right or wrong anyway? The problem with that, in all honesty, is that there is a standard. And when we deviate from it, when we sin, people get hurt. And for anyone with a conscience, that does make us feel bad. There's simply no getting around it. Such honesty can be very discomforting. So can the next thing in your sermon outline, giving up control of part of our lives. And that's what happens when we repent, which leaves us with no option other than to trust God's mercy. Repentance admits that there's nothing we can do to make it up to God, to pay him back for the sin that, that we have committed. It's completely out of our control. Again, not a very comforting feeling often. And the third thing there, repentance also requires a decision from us. And the decision is, will I change? Luke tells us some of the changes that, that John instructed his listeners to make in their lives. He said, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. To the tax collectors, he said, collect no more than you are authorized to do. And he told soldiers, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusations and be content with your wages. So, so share, don't steal, don't cheat. Now, if he's talking to us today, he might say such things as, don't complain, don't do mean things, don't say mean things, don't steal, and, and don't cheat, and, and I know you could add to the list as well as I can. Real repentance requires that we make a decision about whether or not we are willing to make those kinds of changes in our lives. As we consider that, it might be helpful for us to remember this. Real repentance leads to real comfort. 
lasting comfort, divine comfort. So as it turns out, John had gotten the memo. He knew that calling people to repentance was calling them to receive the comforting assurance of God's tender love and his free forgiveness. And that was always the goal. John preached more than a baptism of repentance. That's, that's where we stopped reading uh, earlier at the beginning of the sermon, but that's not where John stopped preaching. Mark says, and so John came baptizing in the desert and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's the goal, because repentance without forgiveness leads to despair, while repentance with forgiveness leads to divine comfort. And once we discover that, we begin more fully to appreciate both Isaiah's message and that of John. And that prompts us to make a regular habit of repenting of our sin, not just Sunday mornings in church, but, but every day. Because when we repent, we are relieved of the burden of, of hiding and denying our guilt. We receive even greater relief when that guilt and its punishment are washed away by the blood of Christ. That's how divine comfort prompts what, what real repentance requires, which is, first of all, honest confession, and then, secondly, trust in the one who promises to forgive our sin. As, as we realize, it's, it's not so much of what we repent, but to whom we do that. And while at first it can be very difficult for us to give up control, when we are able to do so, God's peace floods our lives and fills our hearts. As we realize it doesn't depend on us, which is so comforting because we know instinctively that we are not dependable. And we learn by faith that God is always divine comfort. It prompts honesty and trust, and, and also it prompts a decision to change. Do you know why John gave those instructions to the people who had come out to him about not stealing and cheating and, and being content? It's because they asked. They had made the decision, I want to change, I want to know what, what a repentant lifestyle will look like. So he told them. Well, that's us too, right? We, we don't want to go against God's law. Not because we fear his punishment, but because we are grateful for his mercy. And I think that can help us to understand a little bit today's epistle lesson as well. There Peter is, is talking about the end of all things, and he says that's coming. And if we didn't know all of what we do know, we might have expected him to say something about, well, if the end of the world is coming, you might as well live it up. Maybe he would have said, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, yeah, do whatever you want. Let's eat, drink, and be merry. Whatever makes you happy. Instead, Peter points to where the Christian finds true happiness, which is in living for Christ. And so here's what he does say. 
since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Well, that sounds just impossible, doesn't it? But that fact doesn't take away from Peter's instruction. Knowing that I can't do something perfectly doesn't mean I can't do it partially. Especially when you consider that in this context, holy isn't really meaning completely sinless. Rather, it's talking about being set apart from those who are filled with sin. To be set apart by God and, and from those who are opposed to God. It means that we pay no attention to the culture that tells us it's okay to sin. That each one is able to determine for ourselves what is right or wrong. It means we don't twist God's desire to give us comfort to mean he's okay with our being comfortable in our sin. Because when we sin... We don't break God's commands as, as much as we break his heart. I didn't come up with that statement. I read it somewhere a long time ago that, that when we sin, we don't break God's commands as, as much as we break his heart. And you know, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm not sure that it's 100% theologically correct, but, but it's still a great point. Who of us wants to break? God's heart who wants to say I don't care what God thinks I'm going to do what I want to do the divine comfort which repentance brings prompts a different response from us it prompts the decision I will change by the grace of God and with his help. I'll stop to the best of my ability, of course. I will stop doing the kinds of things that, that hurt others, things I say, things that I do. I'll stop to the best of my ability doing the kinds of things that put barriers between me and others and, and between me and God. All of that is included in the amazing gift of comfort given to us by our King. How blessed we are to receive that gift and to share it with others. Amen. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.